Hey, surprise, everybody. You have no driving gloves here. And all three of us are here for a change. I think Derek and I kind of gave our excuses last week, and I made a further excuse at the beginning of the episode. We do apologize. It has just been a mess of a summer for, or spring for all of us. Like I said, I, I'm in the process of moving. I finally getting the new studio set up, the new shop set up. Uh, no, you know, like we said, Derek's been busy. I've been busy. And Will's here to kind of, we're going to let him do his um, discussion of how, how busy he's been traveling and such. And I think you're going to see us get busy here in a couple of weeks again because of the power tour coming through and some things like that. Maybe we'll get some excitement out of it. I'm not sure where we sit on any of that. But, Will, like I said to you in the pre-show, Derek and I kind of gave excuses last episode. Where you been? What you been up to? Uh, if it's not too car related, let's not bore everybody. But <laughs> what's been going on? Uh, all right. So honestly, guys, uh, I just didn't want to listen to y'all talk. You know, I mean, if you really want to know the truth, <laughs> well, the feeling feeling is mutual there. But... <laughs> no, um, you know, been to a couple of different shows. Uh, went to the uh, Atlanta Motorama, which is a really, really, really good show. Um, it's it's a laid back show, you know. There's there's a lot of these shows we go to that are, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on and we're competing and um, so you know you're kind of on edge a little bit. Where the, this show is, um, you know, pretty good friends with Chaz Sydney, who's the promoter of that show, and. Uh, he invited us over to bring our trailer and set up and um so that's that's what we did in atlanta and that that that's a really really good deal um they got an autocross set up a a barbecue cook off they really um, need to do that show on friday too uh, and then to for me i like going to stuff in atlanta on fridays with the i don't know why but my, my hat's in for let's let's make it a three day event yeah you know i I'm a, I'm becoming a fan of these two day events. Um, I like personally, I like the Friday Saturday events better than the Saturday and Sunday events. Um, totally. Generally, we're, generally we're not as close, you know, like as we are to Atlanta to these shows that we do. So, you know, you pack up and head home Sunday afternoon. I mean, you're you're three four o'clock in the morning getting home and and i'm the type of guy when it's over i'm going home i'm I'm not spending another night and driving during the day um you, you pulling a 48 foot trailer um driving at night is the way to go uh, you, you just you don't have near the traffic on the roads it's easier to navigate it's easier to get in and out and get fuel i mean just all the way across the board it's just easier traveling at night um no, I'm to so, totally about that Friday, Saturday stuff. It's so much easier and more conducive to the work week, I think. You know, take yep. Thursday off, do the show Friday, Saturday. Like you said, drive home, have Sunday to recuperate, and be right back at it on Monday because it really sucks starting a work week on Tuesday. I think most of us will agree with that. But Yeah, or, or just, yeah, exactly, or just war, war slap out, you know, when you get there on Monday morning. Um, good guys actually done that in Nashville this past weekend. And unfortunately I wasn't able to go. Um, that is the first 
Good Guys Nashville show that I've missed. I think this was the 13th year in a row, and uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it just uh, due to the workload here at the shop. So, um, so yeah, going to some shows, and I've actually bought a bought a house. Um, so, been been moving and you know packing and unpacking and you know all that. Everybody knows that's a big pain in the butt. Uh, doing it all myself so um you know that that's taking a lot of time time away as well so you know there there's my excuses <laughs> um hopefully everything's kind of getting back to normal for me um i think the the next show that i'll be going to will be in des moines iowa which is in july so uh for the next month i, I should be uh pretty routine as far as everything goes like i said i think what what are we about a month off from the hot rod power tour i've got a lot of people contacting me and seeing what kind of involvement i'm going to have with it what kind of involvement the day job has with it um i think derek's having a couple of internet connections so i think he's going to join us sporadically as he can yeah well the uh the power tour kicks off just down the street from you doesn't it just down from you. Yeah, you're 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 a little bit choppy tonight, there, Derek. We're gonna <laughs> try to live with it. I guess it goes from Bowling Green, and then they little jaunt to Coker Tire, right? And then um to the Hoover Met, which is seems to be almost a standard stop anymore on the uh, Power Tour. I don't know why Birmingham gets so lucky every year, but. We'll, get well I wanna I wanna add something right quick before you move on. To all of our listeners, um chances are they'll they're gonna be having a back kind of a back road route uh to Birmingham from Chattanooga. And if they did a similar route that they did I think it was four years ago, you're gonna be coming about three miles from my shop. So um, that, that day we'll have, I know we're going to have some visitors and, uh, all of our, all of our listeners are more than welcome, uh, to stop by and see the shop and see our projects and, and, uh, and everything else. So I just kind of wanted to put that out there. It's not going to be an open invitation for everybody. Um, I don't, I don't want, you know, I don't know how many thousand of people do the power tour, but, um, you know, people that, you know, follow us on, on social media and, and my friends that, you know, from the West coast that are doing the power tour, you know, they're, they're going to stop by as well. So. Say so I'll throw in too, that uh, when you guys are heading out of Hoover, heading for the Atlanta area, you drive right by the uh, Barber Motorsports complex there where it exit uh, 140 off of I-20. So you, you literally within two, three miles of us too. And, uh, can't say for sure if the museum's doing anything or not. We're looking at a couple of options, staying open late uh, the day of the power tour and open early because I think the overnight is in Birmingham. So you have an option to hit at either time. Like I said, we're still trying to put those things together. And um, and we'll say, amazingly, it's the year for uh, no driving gloves that um, 
seems Derek's dropped uh, having some internet, like I said, and has dropped for the show. So we'll throw out that you're just a couple started just a couple of miles down from him too, and the uh, National Corvette Museum. So I don't know if I'm going to head up to Bowling Green or not, and and follow him to Birmingham. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of logistics, and again, being busy, but you should be able to catch up with the No Driving Gloves. Um, what do we call ourselves? Hosts at some point during, <laughs> during the event. I'm, I'm just kind of looking at the, uh, the, the route that they're sending you from Chattanooga to Hoover right quick. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You're going to be, I, I actually, believe it or not, you will be coming right by our shop on US Highway 278. I mean, you will be blowing by Big Oak Garage. So if you look at the official route uh, between mile 99.4 and 120.8, um, we'll be uh, probably about 100 and. 18 no it won't be that much about 100 110 your 110th mile you will you'll be at big oak garage i mean there will be no detour nothing i mean it is coming right by the shop so there you go if you if you follow the back roads uh the back road route the official route you'll be coming right by the shop and Will will have one of those little hair dryer, twenty foot tall used car men dancing around his entrance, so that you don't don't miss the shop. <laughs> that's 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 a pretty good idea. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think you can probably rent one for fifty bucks for the day. There you go. That's that's what I'll do right there. So um, you'll come down um, Highway Nine, hit Highway Two Seventy Eight, and uh, our shop is in between. Piedmont and Gadsden on U.S. Highway 278. So you won't even have to make a detour. That's kind of cool. Kind of cool. You're on the route without paying to be on the route. Yep, I'm gonna have to make a couple of phone calls about that. That's pretty neat. Well, like I like I said, I think already Derek's dropped for the night. When the weather's bad, he's he's got a pretty spotty internet. So. Guess we can't get all three of us together quite yet. Maybe we'll shoot for that next week. But we'll go on with, you know, we know where Will's been, what he's been doing. We've chatted a little bit about the power tour. And uh, some of that's, you know, like three, four weeks off. You know, check it out if you're here in the southeast. It's, you know, running all the way down to Birmingham. And then they're headed towards North or South Carolina, something like that. So pretty encompassing route. But I think... We were going to try, and Derek kind of, he admitted, I'm a museum curator. All all I ever use is a pencil and a computer, so he's interjected already. And Will and I were going to probably talk a little bit about some of the tools that may make our lives in the shop easier, and I'm thinking more from a technician standpoint because, you know, 40% of my job is pushing paper at a computer terminal, but... I've been, you know, been out in the shop trying to wrap up some projects. We got a couple new projects coming in. I know our main car buyers out. I would say next week, but when you're listening to that this week, um, 
looking at a couple of new projects to to come into the shop. So don't know if those will the deals will close or not on those, but there's a couple of potential new restorations that could be coming in. And in the four-wheel variety, it seems we have plenty of two-wheel restorations, but I don't quite understand two-wheel stuff. So, Will, you, you kind of chose the topic. What what tool were you uh, kind of thinking? We, or what? Go ahead and set the flow for, or set the mood for the evening. Well, I, I'll, you know, probably the most used tool or piece of equipment in the shop uh, is our lifts. You know, it would be really, really hard to do uh, what we do without, without a, a four post lift. Um, we're, we're in a great need of a, a two post lift and I know there would be something on it at all times. Uh, just really don't have a really good spot for one. Um, but you know, our, our four post lift is used, you know, it, there's never nothing on it. There's always something on it, whether it's just pulling it on there to do something small or final assembly on, uh, on like the dart that we built, that car was completely assembled on the lift. Um, so that, that's probably the single most handedly tool in the shop that, that gets used the most. And it would be really, really hard to do what we do with without it. Um, and believe it or not, it was the very first piece of equipment that was put in our shop when we built it uh, about eleven years ago. So let me ask you on that lift because it's something that gets talked about quite often, and that's that two and four post, you know, argument, which. Yep. Which do you think is better? I mean, I have my opinion. I've worked. I've worked in a shop that actually had a a, a two post lift, a single post in ground lift that had this kind of the X member that went under the car, and then we had an ali- alignment rack, which effectively was a four post lift. It wasn't used for alignments anymore. It was used as a four post lift. And so I've, I mean, been in one shop that's had had all three types of lifts to choose from up to two post lifts to four post lifts to backyard buddy type four post lifts. And I know where I want to be uh, and what my thoughts are on it. What do, you, what do you think is actually the most usable thinking maybe in your, if you were putting it in your personal shop or, uh, you know, your garage, n- not necessarily a commercial application. Um, in, in my opinion on that, definitely a four post lift. Um it makes it a little bit harder to change wheels and tires. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a four post lift guy. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I, I really like two post lifts as well. Um, but if you have a four post lift in your car, in, in, in your home garage or in your shop, you know, the only really thing that's a pain in the butt to do is change change wheels and tires um it's maybe cleaning your wheels and tires if your car sets really low and you got to rotate them but you know you just roll it back a little bit roll it forward a little bit and you're you're good to go um so what i think's better overall would be a would be a four post lift they're a little more stable they're easier to get a car on um you know, yeah, they take up more room, 
but to me, I, I'm I'm a four post lift guy, and and actually the lift that we have, it's it's uh, what's the brand on it? Uh, I can't remember. Um, anyway, but it, it's it's a good high quality lift that actually has skates on it that you can put under it and and move it around the shop, and it's really not that bad to move when you don't have a car on it. When you have a car on it, it's it's, it's really tough to move. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a four post, four post guy. Yeah, see, and that's exactly where I w- I'm at too, is I think the four post lifts, if especially for the home shop, uh, home garage, you know, you have to make a, a commitment to where a two post lift goes and bolt it to the that's ground. Right. And they're always, you know, every, every car you load, you've got to get down on your knees. You've got to adjust the arms. You've got to hope you get it. You raise it up a couple of inches, make sure it's balanced and then go ahead and raise it. And yes, doing wheel and tire work is much easier on a two post lift. Never will deny that. Uh, doing brakes and, you know, suspension work easier on a two post lift, but the four post lift, Absolutely everything else is so much easier for storing a car or whatever. Like Will said, you, you know, I mean, you just drive up on the thing and the car's set. You don't have to worry about making sure you've got the, you know, the jack points and the lift points. Because the lift points are all, some, a lot of times different than the jack points. You don't have to worry about if you're pulling a motor out of a car, if that's changing the weight distribution and all of a sudden it becomes a little bit light on that two-post lift. It just, to me, the you know, the four-post is the way to go. Most four-post lifts either have jacks that are built into them to get that axle off the ground if you have to do wheel and tire work or if you have to do, you know, do brake or suspension work. And then since, you know, I feel we talk to a lot of hobbyists on the, this podcast more than shop people, and unless you own your own shop, you really don't get the uh, input. But I think at the four-post lift, like I said, especially at the home shop, because of what Will said, you know, if you don't have a car on it or whatever, you can move it. You can, you know, you can put it on the other side of the garage. You can, well, you can put it outside. You can, you know, you've got a couple of other, th- you know, a couple of things. If you're storing, say, your Corvette on the top of it and your Corvette or your Porsche under it and, you, you know, your garage only has a, you know, eight foot ceiling or so, you know, you're going to barely squeeze both of those cars on it, but you can then lo- roll the lift into the driveway, provided you have a flat driveway, and use the full height of the lift to then work under your car for a day if you're going to do a day of oil changes or something. And then you just put the lift back in the garage and you keep your HOA happy and you keep everybody happy. It just, just I know, that's one of the big things I've always seen with the four-post lifts is they're just so diverse and so versatile. versatile. And like I said, they... They're so much easier and safer and, you know, kind of stuff I work on the, you know, the old race cars, tube frame stuff, uh, monocoques and that. A lot of times you sit there and wonder, is this really the place I need to put a two post lift on it? And the shop I work at, you know, we only have a two post lift and I keep pushing them. Let's get a four post. We, we've got room. We've got money. Let's go ahead and get a four post. We need one. But so I'll agree with Will on that one. So we've. <laughs> we've talked to four post lift to death now. Well, and, and let me lay, add something else too is, you know, I have people come in my shop a lot and they see our lift and they're like, Oh, that thing's not bolted down to the ground. And I'm like, no, why does it need to be? Oh, that's not safe. 
and I look at them and I'm like, you ever worked uh, underneath a car on jack stands? Well, yeah. I'm like, okay, this has twice the pad of one jack stand on the ground with a safety on it. You know, you're a lot safer with a four post lift, you know, with, with a safety not bolted to the ground than you are jacking your car up and putting it on jack stands. And, uh, and when I say that, they're like, well, yeah, I didn't really think about that, but you know, it is. And, and if you don't like where it's at, you know, we put these skates underneath it, let it down. It picks the post up off the ground and you move it where you want to move it. So that's, that's one of the things that, like you said, it's so versatile. You can move them wherever you want to move them. You know, the, the second biggest thing in the shop that, that we use is obviously our, our sheet metal shaping equipment. I know most of the, your home hobby shops are not, are not going to have that. They don't quite get as in depth as we do, but there are some, you know, lesser expensive, you know, sheet metal shaping tools out there. You know, there's a company out there, they make a, a little hammer called the mini max and, you know, just little things like that, that, you know, you can buy for your home shop, you plug them in the wall and, and just, you can make just about everything that, that we make with our big hammer. Um, you know, and they're, they're, a pretty much a, a glorified bead roller is, is what they are, but you can do a lot, a lot more complex shapes and stuff like that with it. A lot of people think that sheet metal equipment is way out of their budget or is just too specialized, but you can get into like, like you said, the, the mini max or even one of the, you know, jet three in one machines. It's a shear and a brake and a roller and it's mm-hmm. only, only 36 inches, but you have to consider what the mo- most people are doing in their home you know, you might be doing a whole restoration. A lot of times you're just making small little panels or you're making, a you know, a custom piece or uh, a scoop or, you know, I'll be honest, a, a vase for your, your wife or something. It's It allows you to do a lot of things for, you know, a thousand bucks or fifteen hundred bucks and, go, oh, wow, it's a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars. But I mean, that's what a, a, a good entry level welder is going to cost you. It's what a good, you know, a good compressor is going to cost you. Um, I mean, yeah, you can always say, well, I got my compressor at Harbor Freight for $4.99. Well, you can also go get a three-in-one machine at Harbor Freight for $4.99. So it's what, what you want to pay for. And they do come in handy. It, you know, it's amazing. And, I, you know, I've been tossing around getting one for my wood shop because there's, you know, sometimes a little bit of woodworking that I want to integrate some metal work. And, you know, it's kind of nice that I have the... Uh, ability to sneak into the metal shop at work and take care of some of that. But a lot of times, you know, I can't bring this piece of furniture in to get the exact fit in that. So I kind of need one at home and, you know, in the same, same vein. And when it comes to, to cars, you know, you get yourself, I think one of the uh, other nice tools to have around kicking around. And I hesitate suggesting it because if you don't know how to use it, you can get severely hurt or you can hurt someone, but that's a welder. And, you know, you can get into a, a decent 
you know, Lincoln or Eastwood or something entry level welt- welder in the three to 500 range for a MIG welder with, you know, gas shielding and get a little bit cheaper if you wanted to use a flux core wire or something. But <laughs> what you end up saving on the welder, you end up losing in labor cleaning up your welds when you use flux core. And some of the TIG machines now are in that $1,000 and $1,200 range. And that gives you just such a diverse tool that you can use for, again, so much. You know, I, I look at how many things, you you know, you, you need to do on a car, you know, various brackets and bolts and uh, fixing things or uh, especially doing doing a full build. It, it's just always nice to have one kicking around. And then the number of, again, the little things you can use it for around the house. You know, you can get too focused on, uh, well, you know, I got to put pans in my car. Okay. And then what am I going to use a welder for? Well, there's always something. Your wife wants a pot pan rack or you want a sh- custom shelving unit for the man cave to put the TV on or you want, you know, there's lots of things you can always use that for. And your buddies are always going to want something welded. Oh. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Your buddies, your buddies are going to be there. Um, and, and you're right, John, we couldn't do what we do without welders. Um, we're more of a TIG welding shop. I think we have five TIG welders and one MIG welder. Uh, we just, we don't MIG weld a lot. Um, but we do a lot of TIG welding. I mean, they're pretty much when, when, when the fab guys get here, they're turned on and they they get turned off when they leave. And sometimes they leave them on when they leave. <laughs> um, you know, the the welders are are, are definitely a, uh, a a must have in a shop, and you don't have to go out and buy the most expensive ones. Um, I, I'm I'm a big believer in TIG welding. It's just a lot cleaner. Um, it it is a little little bit more difficult than MIG welding, but once once you get the hang of it. You know, I mean, you can essentially go, you're not supposed to, but, you know, you can go TIG welding a pair of flip-flops and shorts. It's not throwing sparks everywhere. Um, The welds are clean, uh, especially sheet metal. You know, you hammer, you go to hammering on a a MIG welded piece of sheet metal, it's just going to break all the crap where uh, a a TIG weld is is a lot more... um, forgiving when that goes you can you can actually shape shape a tig weld so um and and you can weld everything with a tig welder plus that you can with a mig welder you can weld stainless you can weld aluminum i mean you can weld you can weld anything just you know change the setting on your machine a little bit and grab a different rod and keep on rolling you got that diversity with it and and like I was just ending with, and you picked up with, it's like having a trailer. If you have one, all your friends have one. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the nice thing about it, uh, say a TIG over a MIG, I, and it's where I kind of said in the beginning of my, my little endorsement of welders, anybody can t- MIG weld. Uh, at least that's what they say. Anybody can put, take a MIG welder, pull the trigger, and put a pile of gloop on a two pieces of metal and think they stuck together. And you can grab them and you can twist them and they don't come apart until you're driving down the road and vibrations over the last 30 miles have broken that well because you didn't know how to do it. It's hard to 
excuse me, but half-ass a TIG weld. It's either welded or it's not. Uh, a MIG weld, it's, it's kind of easy to hide subpar work. It does look subpar, but you, you know, you don't realize it. So, you know, I think they're, they're in addition to the cleanliness and the nicety of the TIG welding and don't let Will um, steer you wrong. If you TIG weld in, you know, flip flops and a short shorts, you're going to have a sunburn. So, <laughs> uh, it, it's not a healthy thing to do. We don't encourage that, but He's right. You're not going to be running, you know, you'd be, be there in your shorts and stuff and you're not going to be running around because all of a sudden uh, certain parts of your anatomy have been uh, touched by uh, hot molten metal. Well, I, I'll tell you another thing in the shop that it, it, it you know, it, it's, it may not make a lot of sense to people, but our, our work benches are lifesavers in our shop. We have really nice metal tables with thick, um, at least three sixteenths thick tops. Some of them are thicker. And, you know, the awesome thing about them, they're built heavy duty. If you got a motor and transmission that you want to clean up or whatever, maybe you can throw it up on the table and you're not bending down and working on them. And, um, you know, they've got vices you know, mounted to them that are rigid and they don't move around. You know, you can, you can actually weld jigs on top of them. Like if you, if you've got something that you got to make multiple pieces of, you know, you weld certain points and you hit your certain points and, um, you know, a, a really, really good sheet metal or, or, or metal table is, it's worth its weight in gold <laughs> when, uh, when you, when you're doing some, you know, sheet metal fab and stuff. And I'm going to kind of stray from the topic there and I'll, I'll admit you know, horizontal surfaces are the most valuable things in any shop. We used to joke at one of the early shops I was at, you know, every horizontal surface had something on it. It was the most valuable piece of real estate in the shop. <laughs> it got to the point after being there for a year, year and a half, We'd go to do something like take the hood off of a car and experience taught me that you go to pull that hood off, you better know where we're going because so many times we pull a hood off and start walking and have nowhere to put it. And it yep. got to be the point we go, okay, let's take this hood off. And we all walk there. We'd all, you know, each get on our corner and go, and then I would go, okay, where are we going to put it? And then we would go clear a place and then come back to the hood and move it. So horizontal surfaces in a shop are extremely valuable. And then I'm going to sidetrack us a little bit because of the shop that I'm in. And everybody thinks it's the coolest thing in the world to have. And it's, to be 100% honest, in restoration and one-off, I would assume, street rod building, uh, it's absolutely worthless. It's cool, but there's no reason to have it. And that's our CNC machine shop. We have a lot of CNC machines, and I'm not gonna. It's not gonna knock the say the manufacturer because it doesn't matter who made made them, unless you're gonna make five or six or something. You don't need a CNC machine. If you're, you know, maybe maybe if you want need two and need them to be 100% precise, exact. Um, you don't need you don't need that. Um, 
CNC machine. It's easier and faster just to do it yourself. Maybe not quite as precise. Um, I'll deviate a little bit and say our water jet is probably one of our most utilized tools. Or, you know, you can have a laser cutter or a water jet. Uh, you know, some of the new CNC routers will do aluminum in that. And, you know, fabbing stuff that way and using it to cut sheet metal or metal, it works really well. But it's, but as far as, you know, a CNC mill or lathe and that, I, I would say our South Bend lathe and our Bridgeport mill get used 10 times as much as our big CNC stuff does because it takes so long to sit down and write the program and then make a test part out of some composite material or foam just to make sure the, the program's written right so you don't crash the machine and then make sure that that piece fits the machine and everything. It's just kind of better to know your measurements and go after it on that manual stuff. So just be, you know, people always go crazy when they're on tours and that, and they go, oh yeah, we got a CNC machine shop and it sounds great to talk about. To be honest, it sits idle most of the time. And it's, it's like I said, the Bridgeport and the South Bends that get used all the time. I, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. As far as my shop goes, if we had a CNC machine, a CNC mill, it would run all the time. Uh, we have so much stuff machined, you know, away from here. Um, we use a couple of different shops around the country to make stuff for us that it would be running. I'm not going to say all the time, but it'd be running a lot. Now we, we do use our Bridgeport a lot. Um, and and we've got a little lay that that uh, will be coming in in the next couple of weeks, but um, it's uh, it would be something that we used a lot. Now, in a, in a home shop, no, you do not need a CNC machine. Um, you can pick up a, a Bridgeport with a digital readout and do just about everything you can do on on a on a CNC machine. It's going to take you. A long time but if you only need one of them you know it 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 doesn't really you know it doesn't really matter um but i know we would we would we would be using uh if we had one it, it would it would run uh, a lot um i can't remember exactly how many pieces we had uh cnc machined out for this 42 truck that we're building um but it was it it it's on up there. <laughs> it's on up there. Well, I guess I'll stand corrected. Um, but I'm going to say on the restoration side, I don't really think you need it. But <laughs> maybe on that street rod side, and, and you know, you guys do seem to like your billet aluminum and billet well, titanium the, and your billet. The, <laughs> the crazy thing about it, there's so many billet parts on this truck, but none of them really look billet. You know the way that we designed them and and had them machined, they they almost look like a modernized version of a cast piece. You know, so so they're they're almost they're cast looking. You know, they have radius corners. They don't have ball mill machine marks all in them and and crap like that. So um, and that's kind of the that's kind of a really hot thing right now is is having stuff custom machined but making it look as if it was cast as an uh, as an original custom part like you know something that was made in the 60s or or something like that so um you know 
one of the things I'll, I'll send you a picture of John. You can post it on the social media. Was um, the little the pieces that go on top of the headlight buckets, and they, we we incorporated them and made them the turn signals and running lights. Um, but it 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 really looks like uh, an an old part versus a new machine part. So, um, but yeah, we we would use we'd use a CNC machine a lot. Okay, I'll I'll stand corrected because the next one I'd go to though that I think is really handy in a shop that not a lot of shops have, and I guess the new term is um, additive machining or CNC machines like we've talked about or removal machining or subtraction machining. The additive machining is basically three D printing. You add material and create things and. Um, it's one of my personal hobbies right now is playing with 3D printers and stuff. And um, the way I see that integrating into a shop and that, even in a home shop, because these machines are getting to a, you know, you can get a good good 3D printer in the 500 to $1,000 range. And those machines aren't changing weekly. You know, one of the bad things you hear about 3D printing is, oh, you, whatever machine you, it's like, it's like the old PC thing, whatever machine you buy today is obsolete in a week. Now, I've been paying attention to these things for about two and a half, three years, really close, and nothing's changed in the, in the affordable price range that, um, what I want to say, 500 to $1,500, $2,000 range. Um, you know, the big things are some um, XYZs come out with a color one where it basically, on as it prints, it uses um, inkjets to color the 3D print as you print it and things like that, dual filament, triple filament things. But overall, the little things you can do to create patterns, to create um, things you can cast or mold, uh, to create, um, you know, I've seen... People make, you know, dash bezels to fit certain, you know, double DIN receivers or single DIN receivers or their own shift knobs or their, you know, own pedals for their cars. Any little things like that. Uh, Wire clips and looms and spark plug things. All that can be done on a 3D printer fairly simply. Uh, And all of us, you know, it's a lot cheaper than (laughs) trying to have your own custom wire looms made or your own spark plug, um, what I want to say, wire clips and things like that. So that would be a, a, a tool that if you're not into it, don't let it pass you by. Go ahead, get a cheap one and start playing with it. I mean, even the Microsoft has a, I can't remember what it is. It's not what I use for software, but the Microsoft has a free 3D modeling software. You can model in SketchUp. You can model in... Um, Fusion 360 is available for the consumer. If you're not using it commercially, you can get that for free. And that's one of the most popular um, CAD programs so that you can create these models. It's just just a kind of a cool way to go about it. And, you know, I started to get into it because the shop wasn't buying a 3D printer. And I go, I can't let this technology get away from me. I'm still too young. This By the time I retire, every shop will have a 3D printer in it. So. Yeah, it's something I need to purchase. I need, I need to get on the three D printer bandwagon, and you know, like you said, you can make shift knobs and all sorts of stuff. So, I need need to see what that's all about. 
So let's take this back to hand tools and get it out of the tech. <laughs> Sometimes we're yeah, we're, yeah. I mean, here I am over teching things for some crazy reason. Let's hit. Yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with with high quality hand tools. And I know you can go buy this what people call the same thing at Harbor Freight or Lowe's or Home Depot or anything like that. But it's not the same people. It is not the same as a Snap-on or a Mac or a Cornwell or a Macco. It's not the same, you know. And I understand sometimes in your home shop, it's hard to get your hands on on Snap-on truck and on the Macco truck. But you know what? This stuff's on eBay. You know, you don't have to buy it new. Go buy it used. And I'm telling you, a used Snap-on screwdriver is better than any new Craftsman screwdriver on the planet. I don't care. It, it, it's not just the grip. It's the way that it grips that screw. Um, uh, you know, especially a Phillips head. Um, it's just, it's just, it's not the same. The ratchets are different. It's just sp spend a little more money and get higher quality hand tools. And you can thank me later because it, it, it I was one of those guys. Oh, I'll just go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy me a, a socket set to take to the shop or whatever. Um, but once I started buying, you know, a little higher quality tools, it, it does. It makes it makes a ton of difference in 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 getting stuff put together and taken apart, and um, they just feel better, they work better, and they last longer. Period. I will back you up on that one 100%. Um, I'll say all my stuff at home is Craftsman Professional line, bought 15, 15 maybe 20 years ago. And the, the Craftsman was doing a decent tool. Then Sears was still a viable company. That's all my stuff at home because it's comfortable in that, and I didn't want to put $10,000 into the stuff. Everything I have at work, is all Snap-on. And people, I just got roasted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago because my Snap-on guy had this limited edition set of screwdrivers, seven screwdrivers or something with purple handles. And those that know me will tell know that I'm one of the first people I'll buy just about anything Snap-on that's available with pink or with purple. And purple's kind of the new color and they've eliminated pink. First of all, if you're in a commercial shop, nobody's going to steal it from you because you're the only guy in the shop with pink stuff. Um, yeah, you're going to get ribbing and jokes and things, but you know what? <laughs> Never had one of my pink tools stolen. Never has come up missing. But I was going to buy this set of uh, Snap-on screwdrivers, and I already had a set of Snap-on screwdrivers, and I have a second set of Snap-on screwdrivers, one's for disassembly, one's for reassembly for interiors and stuff because you don't, I don't want it to risk getting grease or having a, a slightly damaged tip or something when I'm reassembling, you know, chrome, you know, pieces that I've sent out to be chrome plated or nickel plated or, you know, leather or something and the screwdriver slipping out. Uh, and so I had, it's something I learned when I was at McPherson that I have a assembly set of screwdrivers and I have a disassembly set of screwdrivers. 
but I was going to buy these things at $215. And people couldn't believe that I was going to pay $215 for seven screwdrivers. You know, I got a cobalt set I bought to uh, kind of keep in my knock around tool stuff. And I think I paid $30 or $39 at a Christmas special and got 47 screwdrivers. But the, the difference is, like Will said, the snap-on stuff, it fits the screw head. A number two Phillips fits a number two Phillips screw. Uh, if you're doing the wrenches, a 10-millimeter snap-on wrench fits a 10-millimeter bolt precisely. There's no give. There's no, you know, sometimes you fight to get it on a 10-millimeter bolt because if the plating's too thick or something because it's precisely what a 10-millimeter bolt should be. And, you know, the warranty's nice. They're comfortable if you've got something in your hand and you use it all day long. Um, it makes sense. And I was getting ribbed by some of my uh, friends, and I'll even say I was even getting ribbed by my girlfriend that I'm going to pay 200 and some dollars for screwdrivers. And I suggested to her because she wanted, and I'm going to get in trouble for this, but Fortunately, I think we have a solid relationship. I suggested, because she needs a new desk chair at work, I said, well, why don't you just go to Walmart and get a desk chair? You know, you can pick them up for $29, $39 there. Well, they're uncomfortable. You know, I want one from Staples. It's $300. What's the difference? <laughs> you know, I can get a $30 set of screwdrivers that's going to break and wear out and is uncomfortable or I can get a $300 set of screwdrivers that's comfortable that I'm going to use all day long. You know, she's going to use that desk chair and I have no problem with her spending $300 on a desk chair because it's comfortable and it's needed. It's something that, you know, makes your life easier at work and none of us really want to be at work. So that, that there, there's kind of my, my justification for everybody going, Oh, I can buy it cheaper. Think to your job and, you know, like I said, here's a desk chair. You can go buy one at Walmart for $30. You can go to Staples or you can get a really nice, comfortable one for $250 or $300. Uh, if you're a hairdresser, I mean, I can go to Office Max and get a pair of scissors. You know, I can get three pairs of scissors for $12. But a friend of mine is a hairstylist. She just paid $575 for a pair of scissors. You know, who do you want cutting your hair? The person with the $5 pair of scissors or the person with the $600 pair of razor sharp scissors that are designed for the exact task. So I'll argue all day long and defend all day long the prices, snap on charges and, you know, don't finance your, you know, your paycheck. Don't make $400 a week and have to give $300 a week to the snap on guy. You know, when I started, started snap on, I had a lot of craftsman stuff in my, my toolkit. And I started with a $3,000 set. And I think I made a $50 or $100 every two-week payment on the thing. So, and I eventually got it paid off. And once I got it paid off, then I could buy another tool and another tool. And, you know, I've been at this for 20 years and there's still one or two craftsman tools or Husky tools or, you know, a little off-brand stuff you'll find in my toolbox. But, I, I know, you'll also find some Snap-on stuff I've never opened because, I'm just waiting for the day to use it. So I want to, I, I can't believe I hadn't forgot or said anything about this earlier. Um, but hammers and dollies don't go buy cheap ass Harbor Freight 
hammers and dollies. And if you're if you're doing any type of sheet metal work anywhere, you you need a good set of hammers and dollies. Um, Snap on makes really good hammers and dollies. Matco makes really good hammers and dollies. But my the the thing that I've kind of been doing here lately is I've got all the new stuff. I've got just about every hammer Martin makes, every hammer Snap-on makes, every hammer Matco makes, and I've even got some that you know that I bought when I first got into this that they don't make anymore. Um, but I've been buying a lot of vintage hammers. Um, really hadn't been buying vintage dollies because um, pretty much all the new dollies match all the, most of the vintage dollies. Um, but I, I, I've been I've been out and bid a, a lot of people on eBay <laughs> in the last couple of months on on vintage hammers. Um, the, I, I kind of have a, a a little bit of a collection of hammers and dollies going, and you know, believe it or not, we use them. Um, they make so many different shapes of of hammers and dollies. Um, you know, but start off with with just a good matco or snap-on kit um personally i think matco has a little bit a little edge on snap-on when it comes to, to hammers and dollies um but they both make really good stuff um martin makes really good stuff um there's a couple other companies out there that are making some really nice hammers and dollies but get, get you a good set of hammers and dollies they're not cheap um but they're going to last you a long time. Um, they're true. They're not, the faces aren't all crazy shaped and you have to work on them as soon as you get them. Um, the dollies are nice and smooth and polished. And, and, and that's the key to a good hammer and dolly and, and they're balanced, you know, they're not, they're not top heavy or, or anything like that. So, um, get you a good set of hammers and dollies. Well, I think we've spent enough of the listeners money. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we've only spent about a hundred thousand dollars in tools, minus the CNC machine. But hammers and dollies, it it's it's one of those funny things. It's a little bit of metallurgy when you get into it. You want to make sure, and I think it's it's a safety thing. You want to make sure you're buying reputable tools when that when you're basically slamming steel against steel. And go ahead and watch the episode of uh, MythBusters where. Don't strike a hammerhead with a hammerhead or anything like that. You want to make sure you're, you know, the the tool that you're using isn't going to crack or create a spark or chip off or mushroom or and you. That's some of the differences between uh, using, you know, I'm surprised Harbor Freight doesn't sue more, but Harbor Freight stuff or maybe even some of the stuff from you know Northern Tool or um, just. Uh, is it Clark in England? And I think is the same thing. If you get what you pay for, and if you're going to do it once, you might get away with it. But when you're buying something that's polished and everything's rounded, and there's no sharp edges to it, you're going to get a better. It's going to be easier and more enjoyable to work with. Sometimes this stuff is fun if you have the right tool. If you don't have the right tool, it's an absolute nightmare. To, to me, to me, Harbor Freight's not a tool store. 
you know, Harbor Freight's where I go buy moving blankets. Okay. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'll agree. You know, but, I will go to Harbor Freight and if I'm not sure I'm going to use a tool or I only need it for one, one thing, I might go spend the 15 or $20 at Harbor Freight. But the moment that tool breaks, I don't go buy another Harbor Freight one. I go buy a name brand one because obviously I've either used it too hard or I've used it enough that it justifies buying the real one. And, um, I, you know, I, and I guess there's very few things that I do buy at Harbor Freight anymore other than, like Will said, moving blankets or furniture dollies or um, plastic storage cabinets. They're very good at plastic storage cabinets. Yeah. <laughs> And and I'll, I'll I'll give Harbor Freight this right here. You don't have to go spend fifteen grand on a toolbox. Go buy a U.S. General at Harbor Freight for a thousand dollars. You know, the 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 toolbox at a at a home shop, and, and even in in a, in a professional shop, your toolbox is not going to make you any money. What's inside the toolbox is camp is what counts. Brian, from my Snap-on guy, I know he, he's going to hate me if he listens to it. But, you know, it's it's the truth. Um, don't get me wrong. I do have a Snap-on toolbox. But, um, you know, it, it, and I tell, I tell all of my guys that. You know, I'm like, invest your money in what you use, not in where it sits. And um, you, you don't have to have that $20,000 toolbox. They do hold their value, though, if you do buy one. I think I'm going to leave the toolboxes alone. I thought about it for a few minutes, but I, I've, I've, I was I'll, waiting on a no, good I'm smart answer. I, I, I work with a guy, former NASCAR driver. That's what he has for toolboxes at home, and, and it's right. He's got U.S. generals from Harbor Freight. The stuff inside of them. You know, like I said, a snap-on wrench set will buy that cabinet. But if you're in a shop, yeah, it looks pretty. It looks nice. Your toolbox doesn't roam around most shops. You know, if you're in a dealership, if you're in a repair shop, you usually get a bay and it doesn't move. As long as the drawers open and close, you know, splurge for the ball bearing stuff. But yeah, 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 definitely. The, Will's 100% right. The, the wrench makes you money. The screwdriver makes you money, and that's why you're buying the Snap-on and uh, Mac and Matco and Cornwell, because that's making you money. And if that screwdriver breaks, you know, yeah, great, great. Craftsman's got a lifetime warranty. Uh, Husky's got a lifetime warranty. But I got to go to the, the the store and get it. Uh, granted, if it breaks and it's a Snap-on or whatever, I got to wait for this tool guy to get there in a week. But the odds of that Snap-on tool breaking are a lot, you got a lot less chance of that snap-on tool breaking than you do of something from Harbor Freight or Sears or uh, local, you know, Stanley tool from Walmart, whatever. And when it comes down to, in the professional shop, the two, uh, you know, that's how we get paid, especially if you're flat rate. You know, you, you need a tool to do the job as fast as you can because that's how you're turning them. Uh, you're getting paid by the hour in the street ride shops and that, but when you when your boss is billing out seventy dollars or a hundred dollars an hour, you know you figure it's over a buck a minute for your time. You owe it to the client to get that screw in or get that 
job done as fast as you can. If you don't feel that way, to be honest, you have no business restoring or building street rods. Um, it's kind of that, you know, that personal thing. And with that and that preaching, um, I think I'm going to call it an evening. Like I said, we've, we've spent a bunch of your money. We've given you some food for thought. We've hopefully provided those of you with the uh, Snap-on fetish, Cornwall fetish, etc., some good arguments why you're spending your money that way. And if you're looking for any 3D printer advice or whatever, just go ahead and let us know. You know, like I say, shoot us an email at nodrivinggloves at gmail.com. Uh, look us up on Facebook or Instagram and shoot us a message there. And I'll say by the time this podcast release, the website should be changed. It's not going to be as pretty as it was before, but all the episodes will be on the website the moment they release to Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Stitcher, all of those. It will also post to the website automatically. So if you want to tell a friend or something to listen to the, this podcast that doesn't necessarily understand it on their smartphone and that, send them to nodrivinggloves.com. And the episodes will be there. That website will get built up over the next couple of months. It's one of the side projects I've been doing, but I'm at a point where hosting's changing. So we've got to make the little bit more basic website live, but I think it should should help you uh, be able to spread the word about the podcast. Uh, did you have anything else to add, Will, or did I just totally end the show on a good note? It's over. Then I'm out of here. Um, everybody have a good night. Later. And hopefully Derek will be able to join us again next week. <laughs>